is the Employment Law Show. That guy's always correct. He calls it right every time. 6.32 on Tuesday. Welcome to the Employment Law Show. John Scholes here again. And our lawyer, Stan Fainzelberg from Sam Firu to Markin LLP. Employmentlawyer.ca is where you want to go online. Phone calls to Stan anytime when we're not doing the show. That's easy. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's where we're going uh, tonight. By the way, we got a ton of email to get through, so we're going to machete our way through those, cut some down, and get some answers out there to you. If you sent one along, we appreciate it ahead of time. Thought of the day, you got a couple of them going on. Stan, what's going on, pal? Yeah, absolutely, John. Well, I know that you've heard us say many times on this show that you know the unofficial cap of how much a person can can get in terms of notice is generally 24 months. And, and that's not us speculating. The Court of Appeal actually came out and said that about five years ago. Uh, but the Court of Appeal did make an exception that said there could be cer- extenuating circumstances without actually defining it that allow somebody to go beyond that cap. And two recent cases where people did just that kind of help us as lawyers understand what the courts are looking for so we can try to maximize the amount of severance that any that our clients can receive so in in one case john we had a 64 year old engineer with 38 and a half years of service who ended up getting 30 months of notice and in another case you had a 62 year old program director with 38 years of service who got 27 months And really, there were a few things that the courts highlighted here. Obviously, number one is that these were older individuals with quite a lot of years with the same company. But beyond that, they also looked at the the highly specialized industries that they worked for and actually make note that in one of the cases, you know, the person's skills were so specific to the company they would essentially have to start from scratch anywhere else. Hmm. And really, things like that, uh, were some of the reasons that these two people broke beyond that 24-month cap and, and kind of help us see how we can do that as well. Anything else you want to cover off before we get into some calls and our emails, Stan? Uh, no, I think we can jump right into the uh, okay. emails and you know, wait for cool. the callers. Right on. we got Omay just uh, getting rounded up by our uh, screener by on, the, uh, on the air very shortly. Omay, how are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, thank you. So my brother, he worked there 18 months at Swing Pool Company in Ontario, and he was uh, let go last week without cause. And he's 35 years old. He was a he was a, he died forklift, and he was a swimming pool maintenance uh, technician. So they said they will uh, pay him a termination pay, but he doesn't know how much it will be. And yeah. he was on parental leave, and he came back in June of this year. Since he came back, he was feeling uh, he was getting harassed and being bullied from manager. So a couple of times he bring this to his uh, to the top management, and there was no action taken, and there was always argument between him and the manager. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, there's definitely you know two. Two things, two big things going on. Number one is the severance of the Yeah, you mentioned he was 35, only about 18 months. So I wouldn't expect a whole lot from a severance perspective, maybe a month or two for somebody in, in that position with that many years. But the more interesting uh, question here, in terms of what you said, is really the, the harassment he was facing for taking what sounds like parental leave, which is a protected leave 
yeah, everybody has a right to take it and obviously not have any forms of reprisal uh, against themselves and their or their jobs. So if you're if really there's a connection between him coming back, him taking that parental leave, and the treatment he was in, he was subject to. You know, there's a few avenues you could proceed there. That's also a human rights violation. Um, yeah. Okay, so I guess he will get in touch with you. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds good. Call us at the office. Yeah, Omay, no problem. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the call, pal. Again, uh, anytime. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Natalie, hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you for taking the time tonight. What's uh, what's your concern? Uh, thank you for taking my call. I'm just I'm calling for some advice. Um, I'm the highest level. I'm an executive at a company. Um, my doctor has issued for me to go on a medical leave. And so it's an immediate medical leave. So I emailed the company and I've let them know that I will be on immediate medical leave. And if they would like to contact me, email, I guess, would be the only way for them to do so. Um, since then, they have uh, taken and locked me out of my work email. I'm just wondering if that's something that's permitted for them to do. Hmm. Uh that is, I mean, generally speaking, when the person is on medical leave, they're not supposed to be working. And I've seen companies in the past have that as a policy to lock them out so that they forcibly can't work, especially if you come to them and said, like, don't contact me and other than through email, and I assume for only for emergencies. So unless it's a problem from your perspective or you think they did it maliciously somehow, I think that would probably just be part of their process for ensuring that when a person's on medical leave that they're not accessing their work. Okay, so um, how do you suggest they or I communicate with them if, if I do have to update them on my medical status? So you, you, you can email them otherwise, can't you? Like you mean through a personal email, not my work email? Yeah, it doesn't have to be so formal as a work email. You can email them through your personal email. You can try to contact if you know the person directly, speak to them on the phone when, when the time is right. Obviously, right now, like there's nothing that needs to be done because you're on a medical leave. You don't need to interact with them whatsoever. Once you've progressed to the point where your doctors actually say it's time to return, then you can choose how you want to engage with them and see that's probably when you'll find out more so was this done maliciously and, you know, are they doing stuff when you come back that affect your job? Uh, or was this just, again, kind of their blanket policy or, or the way they handle these things to ensure that pe- people who are disabled or on disability leave, I should say, aren't necessarily working at the same time? Okay. And from your experience, is this typical practice generally or not? I've seen it before. I mean, I don't think it's necessary in a lot of circumstances, but I have seen companies institute it and I, I don't would check if there's an actual policy at some point. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they have this in an HR policy somewhere that says this is the way that they deal with uh, a person on medical leave. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for taking the time, Natalie. Here's how you reach out, have that further conversation with Stan on your own time. For any other questions, we always encourage you to do so. one 855 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Your phone calls, bring them on. We're going to take a short break and get into that in a pile of email. We'll continue Tuesday night edition. Employment Law Show rolls on. Hang in there. 
Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. That is right. Welcome back to the show. Stan Fanselberg is your guy. You want to reach out after the show to Stan and the rest of the team. You can do so. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Would love to have you call through. Hey, Ted, how are you? Good. I'm just wondering, um, I'm just wondering with constructive uh, dismissal by HR, uh, a uh, company from the HR department, um, while they're investigating, and they they're leaving you in abyss, uh, suspended with without pay. Is that constructive dismissal? Uh, depending on the type of investigation they're doing, they're not technically put, allowed to put you on unpaid suspension. That's usually supposed to be a paid suspension. That itself is the constructive dismissal. But again, it depends on the type of investigation as well and what the what occurred. And can you sue? Can you sue the company, the HR department, department themselves for uh, conducting uh, uh, an investigation in bad faith and uh, conspiring with the other employees, knowing the facts, knowing for a fact that everything is false? Can you, can you sue for damages for that and and, and falsifying and making false allega- allegations and acting in bad faith in the investigation? Yeah, I mean, if you can absolutely sue for bad faith, punitive damages, moral damages, all those things are kind of synonymous. Uh, but ultimately, if, if the court were to find that their actions were amounted to what you're saying, that they were basically conducting a sham investigation and were trying to force you out, that could lead to uh, damages beyond the you know constructive dismissal. And this is uh, this is this is even for a reprisal. It went beyond a reprisal. You could sue beyond that after a reprisal. I'm not sure what you mean by like a reprisal of what necessarily, but mm-hmm. if they're found to have acted in extreme bad faith, you can get damages for that type of conduct. Okay, and and that, what I'm saying is because there was a reprisal, and it's at the ORB, and now going uh, knowing the fact I'm going to win, can I sue them in civil court for 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 uh, making for this bad faith investigation? So you have a matter before the ORB that's a reprisal matter. You're saying, and they're right. conducting a separate investigation ongoing right now, and you're saying it's because of the the complaint you have before the ORB. So essentially, they're reprising you for having a reprisal complaint. <laughs> Yes, because they call the Ministry of Labor. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. That itself obviously would be a reprisal against you and for you, Al, you're acting on your rights under the statute. So could you sue them in civil court? Yeah, I mean, it would be a constructive dismissal, in my view. Uh, any number of bad faith damages or different heads of damages um, on top of being obviously a reprisal. Are you willing to take this case on then? Well, I think we'd have to discuss this a little bit further, but yeah, I mean, give us a call at the office so we can get some details and try to understand exactly what's going on and talk to a lawyer and we can discuss moving forward. Let's uh, slide over to email or two, pal. Melanie's up first is, guys, my company just terminated me and I have about 10000 in invested stocks that if I was working as of December, I would be owed. They're now saying I am not entitled to it since I wasn't employed as of December, right? Is there any way for me to force them to give it the uh, give me the unvested stocks to me? What do you think? Yeah, John. Well, I mean, the, fir- the first place to really look is the t- whatever policy governs these stocks. Most of the companies that give out this type of compensation have some sort of restricted stock units or or some sort of policy that speaks to your eligibility and what specifically would happen if you were terminated and they're still invested. 
Uh, And a lot of times it says something akin, like a lot of the bonus language that we've seen kind of before, you have to be actively employed on the date of the stock to be eligible for it. Right. Again, I mean, that active employment language has already been found in the bonus context to not be good enough to disentangle someone. There's a recent case actually from our court of appeal in Ontario dealing with restricted stock units in which very similar language was found not to be uh, good enough to disentangle someone. And unless they have that policy in general, then the immediate presumption is, well, if if, if your notice period encompasses that date, so... Right. Another year, saying this is going to get paid out in December. Let's say you were terminated right now, and your notice period continues until July. Well, it, it covers the date of December, and therefore you are presumptively entitled to it. Again, unless they have a policy that specifically and enforceably disentitles you from those stocks. That's that's generally the way it is, right? I mean, everything that would make you whole, so say you have an eight-month severance period, everything that would have transpired over the next eight months should be part of your package, right? Exactly. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the exact presumption. And again, it can, they can be rebutted by these various policies uh, like, or even a termination clause, for example, uh, but it has to be an enforceable termination clause, which we know how difficult that is in Ontario. Right. And, and beyond that, stock units, bonuses, salary increases. If you can prove that you have a history of, hey, every February, I get a 2 to 5% salary bump uh, for the last 15 years, you can argue and have a, you can say that I expected that to happen in the future, regardless of whether I'm terminated, I should still get that. So really every form of compensation that you're entitled to during that eight-month period, what's your own? Awesome. Let's move down to uh, to Zoe. He says, big fan of the show, guys. I left a company about a year ago based on promises that never materialized, and now I've been terminated. I guess the next company. Uh, I've been in my previous company, or had been in my previous company for almost 12 years. They're now offering me four weeks of severance. Is that really all I'm owed? So This really comes down to, John, the, this concept of inducement. Uh, Zoe mentions that she had been with her company for about 12 years, and that they made her certain promises to come over to the new company. Well, depending on the types of promises that were made, the the specific representations, there is a concept in employment law called inducement, uh, in which if you make promises of long-term employment, uh, and this to an employee who's basically leaving a safe job to to take you at your word, based on these representations and they never materialize and you know you end up getting let go shortly thereafter the courts can actually consider your previous service in this case for Zoe her 12 years of service with the previous company as part of what her package should be now so I would say four months is definitely not enough in this situation and you should give us a call and discuss it Zoe, appreciate that. I'm going to throw the number out there just in case. Uh, I'll give I'll give it out again before we leave. But one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Working down to do, 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 do. let's get to Albert's uh, Albert's emails. It's guys, can an employer terminate you while you're on a disability leave? Yikes. Yeah, well, it's not as simple and really a question as it may seem at first. Because well, an employer clearly cannot terminate someone because they're of a disability leave or because of a disability issue. While they're on a disability leave, let's say a company goes through a restructuring and eliminates Albert's department. 
Well, in that situation, he's not being discriminated against, essentially, because he's being treated exactly like everybody else. Uh, he just happens to be on leave at that point. Uh, in that, again, that situation, that's not necessarily discrimination. Your employer can let you go while you're on that disability leave. Now, they do have you know, additional obligations to Albert in this situation because our stat, uh, Employment Standards Act specifically says what. You know, when a person's coming back from a disability leave, you either have to give them their job, but if their job is not available, you have to consider and give them comparable jobs. So even in the scenario I was talking about earlier, where their entire department is eliminated, you know, Albert's on disability leave, they don't have to terminate him at that point. They can wait to see when he comes back and then see if there are comparable positions. And failing to do that might be, you know, in certain contexts, a breach of the statute and discriminatory. Albert, really appreciate the uh, the email. Pal, moving down to Robert's email, says, love the show, guys. How about this? I was terminated after 12 years of service. It was a technical role, and I'm in my 40s. I was offered 25 weeks severance. Is that fair? So about half a year, right? Yeah, yeah, just around six months or just under that. Yeah. And absolutely not, Robert. You know, to get, from one perspective, depending on how big your employer is, so if they have a payroll of over $2.5 million, which is really only 50 people making about $50,000, uh, then your minimum entitlements, Robert, are 20 weeks. So really, in that context, they're only giving you five additional weeks above what the statute already provides. And realistically, for a person in a technical role in their 40s, 12 years of service, really something around a year would be much more appropriate. Yeah, they're not even close. Twenty-five weeks. They're you know they're they're fifty cents on the dollar with that one for sure. Alexis, coming up next. Let's see what uh, let's see what Alexis got. Says the Ontario government website says I have to wait. I, I love this email. We keep getting this. The Ontario <laughs> government website says I have to wait five years before I'm eligible for severance. Stan, is that true? You know, Alexis, absolutely not. So this common confusion because severance is such a specific term in this one context right. but used so interchangeably in all others so what alexis is referring to and what i referred to in the previous question with robert is that if an employer has over 2.5 million dollars in payroll and if a, an employee has been with that employer for over five years then under the employment standards act they are entitled to one week per year of severance pay but that's not to be confused with a severance package or, you know, notice or pay in lieu of notice, which we generally talk about, meaning the most amount of money you are owed under the common law. So it's absolutely not true. The Ontario government websites only speak to a person's rights under the Employment Standards Act. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't speak to your, those are, again, people's minimums. They're not your maximums. And you should give, contact us to discuss what those maximums could be. Again, these emails are uh, each and every week, each and every show, for that matter, being pulled from help at employmentlawyer.ca, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Liz, next up, says, guys, my partner's insurance company denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the doctor declaring she was unfit to work. Her company now wants her to return, but she's very stressed out and her doctor's against it. What can she do? You know the answer to that one. Yeah, well, yep. she doesn't have to do, frankly, anything because right. she has a doctor who's stating with their medical license in writing that this person can't work. And just because an insurance company denies a disability claim doesn't mean that they that denial is, first of all, 
legal because that's for a court to determine ultimately, mm -hmm. uh, or that they have any medical basis to do that. Because insurance companies, when they assess a, a person's disability claim, they're really only looking at the medical evidence that that person's providing them, including their own medical doctor. And, you know, they may look for any way to get out of the policy to not pay, but they have no additional medical evidence that would suggest really otherwise that you could work. And it's your employer doesn't get to listen to what an insurance company says. They have to listen to what your doctor is saying. And if your doctor is saying you, your partner can't work, then she doesn't have to. And if they take any action against her, that like terminating her, that's mm -hmm. a reprisal, discrimination, you know, any number of things. We got to, uh, let's get Taff in here. We've got about a minute. We'll squeeze Taff in. It says, guys, my employer refused to give me a raise. Can I quit and use constructive dismissal? Mm -hmm. Taff, that's short and sweet. Uh, nobody is legally entitled to a raise, uh, so therefore it cannot be a constructive dismissal because it's not a breach of contract because you're not legally entitled to it. I guess as long as you're, uh, as long as you're with the, you know, at, at least minimum wage. I mean, that's yes. that's that's the deal. If you're making that, you don't have. And even this is the case we get all the time. Standards is, you know, I got someone hired beside me doing the same job a month later. They're making another buck an hour. Maybe they're a better negotiator. I don't know, but that's, your employer can do that, right? That's what it comes down to, John. Yeah. You know, you only get the things you ask for, and if, if you don't ask for a raise, you will never get one. Yeah, exactly. Guys, appreciate all the emails tonight and the phone calls. If you managed to get through, we uh, we thank you a lot for that. We will do it all again tomorrow, same time, 6.30. Look forward to talking to you uh, then. In, um, in the meantime, to get a hold of Stan, really simple, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca, that email address. And finally, you know the website, use it, free, anonymous, and built in, baked in is that severance calculator, which you can use anytime as well. That is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you tomorrow at 6.30 again for another edition of the Employment Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your night.